Welcome to the TAGT Podcast. Come along as we work to connect the GT community and explore new ways to meet the unique needs of gifted individuals. This is the TAGT Podcast. This podcast was recorded at the TAGT Annual Conference, Gift Ed 21. Hello and welcome to the Texas Association for the Gifted and Talented Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Fluche. A special thank you to our sponsor, Renzuli Learning. Check them out and get your free trial at RenzuliLearning.com. Today we're chatting with Tina Moore, the TAGT 2021 Administrator of the Gifted and Executive Director of Advanced Academics in Grand Prairie ISD. As an educator for 27 years, Tina has forged great friendships with former students and colleagues in five districts across the state of Texas. As a secondary English teacher starting in Lubbock, Tina's hometown of Houston and a few cities in the Dallas Metroplex before discovering her leadership path in Grand Prairie. Tina leads with the service uh, in, in f- fecundity. Uh, oh, no, I'm saying it wrong. Fecundity. Fecundity. I will do better. <laughs> <laughs> Tina leads with service in fecundity and is grateful for the opportunity to coach, collaborate, and mentor others in the noblest profession that exists. Tina, we're glad to have you here today. Thank you. Thank you. And I'll explain the word fecundity. It means continuous growth. It's something I learned in um, doing uh, studies in gifted in, uh, at SMU. And so it's just a word that I like. It's, it's the English teacher in me, Perfect. finding obscure words. We just started and I'm already learning. So yes. thank you. I love That's it. It's my job. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to ask you a few questions about you, the work that you do in your journey. Okay. Uh, from a first-generation college student in a family of seven kids to the executive director of advanced academics in Grand Prairie, how has gifted education impacted or influenced your journey, and, and why would you encourage others to take a similar path in education? You know, I, I always tell people that uh, gifted education found me because gifted learners found me. I had no idea of gifted education until I was a master's studying my master's program at SMU and I did not want to be an ELL pathway um, educator and saw that gifted education sound intriguing and so in my 15th year of education that is the pathway I chose but then I reflected on as I learned about gifted education the different students that I had um, met along the way, and even my own experience and how that world was locked away from me. So that is something that has steered my leadership and my, um, my drive for others to understand that giftedness is not a, a program as much as it is an experience of a student, and that every student who is is gifted must learn, first of all, that it's not a locked, it should not be a locked away world. And that as educators, we are to create the experience of students. Yes, wow. And, and what encouragement would you have for educators trying to look into and, and to, to play that role? What, where, where can they get started? Well, um, 
Uh, as an educator, I know and understand that you have to be willing to, there's so many resources out there, and TG, TAGT obviously is the best um, pathway for any educator who's interested in advocating for gifted services and programming can find a varied uh, solutions and, and research to help them on that pathway, and even mentors uh, so that they can grow in their in their um, pursuit and so uh, be curious and the research is there there are so many programs as Mr. Asil uh, explained that he's starting his new passion his new pathway with uh, connecting educators with with uh, resources and so network ask questions be curious and as an administrator that's a pretty unique lens to look at gifted education with so I've got a few questions just from the educator lens. Um, yes. What positive message do you have for other administrators seeking to advocate for GT services or, or, or making them better than before? You know, I, I, would, I wouldn't necessarily say that I am an advocate of gifted students as I am of all students. Mm. And understanding all students and their levels and their pathways that can help them reach the greatest uh, pursuit of their passion is, is, is its own work. And so uh, being an educator and a leader in, in gifted education allowed, allows me to have that understanding. And so m the best education and policies and, and um, programming and strategies I've learned in gifted education because it's the best way of teaching, it's, 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 it's the way. But all students should be experiencing the best way. And so if you teach to the highest level of your students in the classroom, you're going to reach all students. You can scaffold up. And that's what I tell administrators and teachers when I am talking about, when I'm advocating for gifted students, it is an advocation, it's advocating for all students. But start at the top. We get lost. We don't. We don't get seen as gifted students or as as uh, in the gifted world, and that's where that mind shift has to take place. So, spending time on trying to figure out, we're going to use these strategies here, these strategies there. From from your perspective, we found strategies that work in gifted education. Yes, and they can they can work for all kids. Best and We need practices. to move into that. Just move into it. It's already there. It was the foundation of of the philosophy of education. Go back to those those that foundation. Go back to that that experience uh, in education as uh, John Dewey uh, envisioned, because. That's the science of education was not to have departmentalized experiences and learning. And so uh, to bring it all together is, is how we can reimagine gifted education. That must be a tough message for other administrators, maybe in different districts or campuses to embrace. And, and is there maybe a tough message that maybe you have for them, or maybe it could be an encouraging one too, to to help us implement some of these strategies and best practices? I think we need to get out of our, our own way. Hmm. Um, and I think that when we're talking about gifted education, we must understand that we are educating all students and that that means partnership. So that means that teaching and learning 
has to lock arms with the bilingual program. Some, some uh, coordinators are doing both. But don't look at it as separately. Bring it together. Systems. Have those systems that work together so that we see the one child. And I always, uh, when I'm training leaders and when I'm training teachers, I put an image of a student with a backpack because I want them to see that there is intersectionality, that there is a twice exceptional but is student, but, there is, but that student is not separate from the programs that we're offering. And so when we're, when we're collaborating together and we're solving the, the issues that we see in education, it starts with communication. The baseline is communication. And I'll, I'll have to go back to what uh, Mr. Sell said, because this is my philosophy as well about being authentic. Um, I was able to connect with many students, and I've had multiple uh, students of different cultures across these five districts that I've had the privilege, privilege of working in because I was authentic. And so I was born of a 15-year-old mother. My mother was 15, and my brother is, my, is the oldest. So she was a mother of two by the time she was 15. I tell that story because I think it's important that people understand that no matter what your obstacles are and worlds that have been locked away from you, that you can... There is an opportunity if you allow it to happen. My, my mission and my um, purpose is to bring everyone together and that we're not only doing the work of gifted education, but we're bringing belonging. We're bringing a, a world of belonging to all students, and that's what we're here for. We're here for kids. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and I'd love to hear a little bit more about your background, maybe as a student yourself and kind of your journey from, from student to uh, award-winning educator. Uh, how did that all start off? You know, it, it really took me, you know, when I, res- I would like to thank uh, Marcy Voss for nominating me. But from the time I received the information about the nomination to now, it really has not it is sinking in now, but I'm very honored um, because you're you're when you're working, you're doing the work. You're not looking for any kind of of recognition of the work because it's my passion. And so when I think about myself as a student and where I am now, I am very grateful for the opportunities and the people who I have been in contact with to help me grow. And so, Helping students find their pathway is, is, is my passion. Student voice is very important. Ask students. Don't try to create a program without having student voice. And that is one of the, the reimagined worlds of, of gifted education that I'd like to shape is that uh, uh, we have some very intelligent students. I get to meet a lot of students. And so, and I go talk to them. I make a schedule so that I can go into those gifted classrooms and talk to kids and just go on campuses to talk to students because they do know more than what we think. And so the model of we have a pullout program in Grand Prairie 
the model that was envisioned was centered around enrichment. But now we're, the world is changing. Students are changing. What is their world? What is their current experience that we have yet to untap because we didn't ask? And I'd like to know that. Not their parents, not, not what we thought or what we think based on our own experiences. I don't want people to uh, base their, their experiences on my deficit mm-hmm. pathway. And I say that because I only know what I've experienced and I only know what I've been taught. And so uh, asking students what they want, who they are, what their experiences are, I know it sounds very idealistic, but I, I, think, we can, I think we can figure it out. So taking the time to build the relationship with your students and to know your students before responding uh, with what we think they need. It, you're mm-hmm. doing the legwork to find that out. Yes, yes. Powerful stuff here. So an inspiration, you have, you've had an inspirational journey. I've mm-hmm. got a few questions here left as, as we uh, move on here, but uh, who's inspired you, whether it's uh, maybe in your educational career, in your life in general, who's really inspired you to, to uh, do the things that you've been able to do? Oprah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, um, daytime television became therapy. (laughs) You find out, you know, dysfunctions that you have in your family because someone has introduced another world to you. That's one thing. But just um, when I think about um, inspiration, I don't think about one person or one thing. Um, I look at, I look at, all things. And so I can't pin it, pin it down to that, to one thing. I said Oprah because she has, she, she has my story. Her story matches mine. And I think that, um, when you find someone whose story match yours or that they have created a pathway for you to see differently, then that is your inspiration. All right, my last question here, fill in the blank. The best way to foster a student's potential is? I won't say it's trash. (laughs) (laughs) Potential. (laughs) Potential. Potential. You know, um, we have to go back to asking students um, where they are. If someone had had, um, thought they knew my potential by looking at my background, I would not be where I am today. So uh, we want to see where people are, but don't leave them there. Hmm. And so unlocking potential means where they are now, but that doesn't mean that that's where they will be later. Because for every ceiling, it's the floor of a new beginning. And so even this award, I'm very grateful for it, but I'm only, I've only just begun. Mm-hmm. And so I'm excited about the work that I still get to do and will do based on what I've already learned, but what I will also continue to learn fecundity. I love that we wrapped it up where we started here. Uh, how can our listeners find out more about you and your work? Wow. I don't have a book. I don't have. <laughs> follow me at GP Gifted. Um, but that works. Uh, yeah. Tina.more at gpisd.org. 
Thanks again to our guest today, Tina Moore. We're so glad you could join us. If you're interested in learning more about today's guest and their work, check out the links included with this podcast post. And if you're not yet a member of the Texas Association for the Gifted and Talented, we hope you'll join our community by visiting txgifted.org and clicking on the Join tab. Tempo Plus blends research-based, peer-reviewed content with an online, dynamic, searchable platform to bring members and the gifted community even more resources to meet your needs. This resource library expands to include templates, videos, tip sheets, audio recordings, and more. If you're a TAGT member or e-subscriber, you already have access. Visit txgifted.org to learn more. Hello and welcome to the Texas Association for the Gifted and Talented podcast. I'm your host, Michael Fluche. A special thank you to our sponsor, Renzuli Learning. Check them out and get your free trial at renzulilearning.com. Today we're chatting with Jessica Fair, the TAGT 2021 Educator of the Gifted. As a parent of two gifted children, Jessica Fair was inspired to change trajectories in life and become a gifted education teacher and advocate in her community for gifted children and their unique needs. In her sixth year as a three through five grade math and science gifted and talented teacher at McKinney ISD, Jessica has fostered many initiatives such as social and emotional daily, communica- or daily community circle lessons specifically targeted for gifted students, student opportunities for diversity and equity in our world, and grants to support STEAM and social and emotional tools for MISD's GT community. Welcome, Jessica. Thank you for having me. You've done it all in GT services. You've built curriculum, worked in GTID, created GT uh, social and emotional strategies, and now you're writing your dissertation on twice exceptional learners. If you can give any encouragement to an educator looking to build their self-efficacy and seeing and meeting the needs of gifted students, uh, what would it be? The first thing would be reflection. And when I say reflection, we have our reflections from PDs or our reflections with our students. But I'm talking a deeper reflection, a reflection about our inherent biases and our reflection about where we come from. Um, I was raised in El Paso, Texas, and I was raised in a minority town where people would judge me by my skin color. And I value that experience because from a young age, I saw, you know, a picture of the injustices of the minorities and people who are judged and it it's really important for teachers to step out of themselves and step outside and look at multiple perspectives for their students to serve them and honor them Um, and then there are reflective practices you can do with research you know like Bandura's self-efficacy but the other bigger component is collective efficacy And our team in McKinney does an amazing job of serving the needs of our students with collective efficacy. Because let's be honest, after this last year and the pandemic, um, I was self-contained and had to teach all subjects. (laughs) It was a challenging time for all, but I was completely out of my comfort zone. um, And I had to reach out to the ELAR specialists to to give me tutoring <laughs> I to be my best. And plus, I was doing my dissertation. I would reach out and formed a study group in my schooling. 
and our study group is amazing and supportive of each other. Um, I also still maintain the relationship with MGTA, and I think teachers, in order to be more effective, need to reach out. The biggest feather in the cap is the collective efficacy on our team, working with the strengths of amazing teachers and really trying to build upon each other. It can be a little bit messy at times, you know, um, people stepping forward and people stepping back, but just knowing that you're in it together and having those team norms for gifted kids and having that vision and purpose that you, you continually revisit. Um, I think, yeah, reflection and self-efficacy and collective efficacy. So you've really spent a lot of time reflecting upon your own self and, and your own journey, but also you've got a community of people who've really been a, a place that you've been willing to lean on them and kind of move everything forward from there. Trying to lead that moving, moving forward, but there were times when I, you know, always need help. Um, we all do in order to improve continuously. So reflecting and seeking that out is important. But teachers stay in their silos so mm. much, or they'll create some amazing something, but they're possibly not willing to share or just maybe not even spending the energy. But there's research. John Hattie um, did a meta-analysis, 1,500 studies, and it showed collective efficacy is three times more impactful on student achievement, all student achievement. Um, and the second, ne- low, the second next one after that that's impactful is socioeconomic status. Mm-hmm. So as educators, if we could have more collective efficacy and work intentionally on that, um, it could have tremendous outcomes. So if I'm an educator listening to this today, where, where do I begin with that? How do I get started with trying to improve collective efficacy and, and, and taking a look at that and, and maybe having a reflection moment within that? I think it starts uh, with having a small group of peers, you know, maybe the people you trust, the teachers that you trust and, and build with, and building kind of a co- coalition and growing that and, and having team norms and cultures where you do at times have to um, have some difficult conversations, have some honest conversations, but also even intentionally talk about it. This past year in the pandemic, what could we control? We could control our collective efficacy. So I led you know, the team and our team meetings, our weekly team meetings, and bringing some of this data and research and, and talking to each other authentically, doing a self-reflection, which I made a Google form, you know, but also really looking at how can we improve, not just for ourselves for, and not just for our classroom students, but all of the students. So um, I think there's a, a lot of research, but if you just start partnering with two or three people, start just reading a little bit and trying to you know, make that intentional, it's very achievable. So you're an award-winning educator of, uh, of the gifted here with TAGT. Tell us a little bit about your journey, maybe even starting as a student. I mean, what, how do we go from point A to point B? I um, do have a background with gifted education. I, grew, I was raised mostly when my father got out of the military in um, El Paso, Texas, and I was plopped into gifted education and often felt all of these people are so much more intelligent. I don't get what they're talking about. Uh, a fish out of water. And back then, there were no social emotional lessons. I had no idea. And in fact, 
I love my parents and they thought they were doing the best, but they're like, you do not talk about that you are gifted and talented. You don't talk about it. It's, um, you know, your sisters or other people might feel badly. And so it was something that I'm like, oh, you know, so I grew up with this. Okay. And I went through my life. I always was a nerd. <laughs> I, I graduated um, from college in four years and with two degrees in two different schools, finance and Latin American studies in Spanish. And I traveled the world a little bit and I uh, lived in San Francisco and I was in finance. And I said, kids will never change me. And I met my husband, and I had my two kids, and they completely changed me. And so I shifted my life because my firstborn started exhibiting gifted, I mean, started reading at three, would have select mutism in his preschool, would cry from existential crisis from a dead bug, and couldn't let it go. And I'm like, whoa, what is going on here? I got him tested, you know, I got him all these things, but it wasn't until he was identified in kindergarten that I realized, oh, he's gifted and talented, and maybe that's a little bit of my rainforest mind. You know, I've always got things swirling around up there um, from when I was a kid, but I, I, it never really clicked. And so after my second son, I quit, left my finance job, and have dedicated my life to gifted education and serving the needs of all children. Any child who isn't seen or heard or having their needs met, um, that's something I'm going to fight for. So I'm in this for the long haul. I got my master's, and now I'm doing my doctoral work because I also don't have that foundation of education. So I also need to work to understand deeply, um, you know, all that goes into it. So that's my journey, and that's why I'm here. Do you think your experience in the finance world has impacted how you uh, lead and teach kids as an educator? It does, and I um, am an, an aspiring administrator now. <laughs> and so I think in that regard, too, I am always looking at the orga- organizational you know, type of processes. And yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. And, Thank you. And in terms of uh, advocacy, advocacy for, gifted, uh, for, for gifted education services, um, you know, what, is, what does advocacy really mean to you as someone who has stepped up in terms of, of, of what that looks like in this realm? What, what is advocacy for, for maybe a, a, a teacher that's listening out there today? What does it look like to you to, as an encouragement for them? I think advocacy is standing up for anyone who doesn't have someone to stand up for them mm. or that is not standing up for themselves. And it it does come with passion, um, but I think people can advocate even without passion if they see a need and they need to speak up for our kids. Kids are worth it. Kids deserve it. They all need somebody. And if you just are um, paying attention and actually getting to know, you know, kids, you could see what their needs are. and, And it's easy to advocate, but... I'm a little intense with my advocacy efforts. <laughs> <laughs> so, so reflecting back as we ask a few more questions here, um, has there been anyone that has inspired you in particular, maybe in the realm of, of this line of work in education, who's really inspired you to be this passionate advocate that you are? Yes, there is. <laughs> Her name is Karen Green, and she was the um, administrator coordinator for the gifted for McKinney ISD. 
and I met her once I quit my job. And um, much like Letha, I didn't go straight to work. I didn't know I was going to be a teacher. First, I thought, what do I do with these little kids um, that I don't understand and that are gifted? And, and by the way, my second son is twice ex- exceptional um, in a in a funny way but anyway in a funny way I say that because he gets in trouble a lot and it's getting better but he gets in trouble a lot and we just you know say that's your 2e showing now what are some strategies about how we can fix this but Karen loved my kids I met her as a parent and loved me and you know just kind of drew me in with the force that she was for the passion for these kids. And so once I started learning through her, she would give me books. She would motivate me to go um, do all sorts of things. She was my biggest cheerleader when I advocated. Um, She is just an incredible person. And she's still, uh, she's retired from McKinney, but she has her own coaching career and is still learning and has been certified. So Karen Green is by far the most passionate GT person I've ever met. <laughs> so uh, passionate advocacy is uh, is something you've learned uh, or have been uh, seeing other people do here yes. in your career. And yes. it sounds like it's had not just an impact on you professionally, but with your, your, your children at home and, and it has really changed. It's really changed. Yeah, it really changed you. Yeah. So go ahead and fill in the blank here. The best way to foster students' potential is? Love them like they are your children. Hmm. If, if teachers would love every child, even the ones that are l- the little stinkers, like one of mine, <laughs> if you truly love them, then you can see beyond all the other things. And then again, that advocacy, that, that inclination to what can I do to catch this kid? What can I do to help them in whatever it is, behavioral, social, emotional, or academic? How can our listeners find out more about you and your work? I have a Twitter handle, although I'm not super active. <laughs> it's at Mrs. Jessica Fair. Thanks again to our guest today, Jessica Fair. We're so glad you could join us. If you're interested in learning more about today's guest and their work, check out the links included with this podcast post. And if you're not a member of the Texas Association for the Gifted and Talented, we hope you'll join our community by visiting txgifted.org and clicking on the Join tab. Renzuli Learning is proud to support the Texas Association for the Gifted, their podcast and gifted education nationwide. Be sure to visit our website at renzulilearning.com and sign up for your free trial to experience firsthand how we deliver a rigorous, personalized learning environment for all students pre-K through 12 and how we align our resources to the TEKS and provide student-driven project-based learning that unpacks the natural passions and abilities in all children.